we exist to come alongside people who are hurting, who are broken, who are messed up, to come alongside them and give them love and to give them grace and to give them encouragement until they can rise above it and walk on that path on their own. We are Pathway Church, located in Burleson, Texas. We worship together, we serve together, and we grow together. Okay, that was just a light glimpse of the seven historical markers that you will be unveiled next weekend. And if you want to, as a part of the celebration, besides all the great food, I mean, the food's going to be great because all the ga- ga- games for all ages, and they're going to be for all ages, it's going to be really, really fun. Uh, there's lots of people, but you can walk around actually the church and see those seven markers and just kind of see kind of the progression of how God has been working and moving in this place. So it's going to be a really big weekend. Uh, also in the morning, it's going to be, it'll be our last worship time in this space. Next weekend, very last worship time in this space for us because the weekend after that, we will be in the center. So, man, I just want to invite you to kind of put next weekend aside. You do not want to miss you want to be a part of this, this great big celebration and the future to which God is leading us. Uh, I want to wait, say welcome to everybody, especially those that are online, maybe those that are about over in the crossing, uh, out in the sanctuary, uh, those that are down at True Worth and the bridge. I know we have some folks that are in the hospital. We have some folks that are at home that are extremely ill. And man, you, I got texts from some folks saying, man, pastor, please pray for me. I, I am doing that. And those that are here in the house that, that are new, we're just so grateful that you're here. If you have your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. Uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, we're just going to camp out there so you can find that here. We'll kind of get there here in a few moments. We're wrapping up our series this morning. We're calling one more. Uh, next weekend, we're going to do something kind of a standalone about our birthday. And then after that, we'll kind of get through Thanksgiving. Then we'll start a new series as we move up toward Christmas. So that kind of tells you where we're headed. Uh, but I'd like to begin this morning in prayer. And I invite you to join me wherever you are in the world. Uh, maybe you're far away and you're watching online from some other state. Maybe it's, maybe it's Florida. Maybe it's Oklahoma. I know we have some folks in Tennessee and Ohio. Even have some folks up in Washington State and Idaho. Uh, we welcome you. Uh, and just wherever you are, it's just join me in prayer. And God, here, here's my prayer this morning. I, I pray, God, that you would use me. Within this next few minutes, God, that you would use me in that. All day long, God, you would guide my thinking and my behaviors. And that neither of them, God, would uh, be self-focused upon myself or bring discredit to your name. And God, I surrender even now. All outcomes, my agenda, whatever that may be, God, to your unlimited power that you might do what you want to do here in these next few minutes. God, I pray that you would use me, that you would use us to connect one more to your incredible saving, healing, love, and grace that we discovered in a man named Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I would like to visit with you this morning about a guy who met Jesus the day that Jesus came to the DFW area, and he hung out for a while, and he met a guy that I would consider part of being the the poster child for success of a Texan here in the DFW Metroplex. Now, we know a whole lot about this guy. 
because we read about him in three different books of the Bible. He's in the book of Matthew and Mark and in Luke. So when you read it, you learn a really whole lot about, about this guy. And one of the things that we know about him, he had, there's three things we learn right off the bat, is that we know this guy was extremely wealthy. He is really, 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 really wealthy. We also know he's very, 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 very young. And we also know he has authority. He has some sort of authority in his life because the Bible calls him the rich, young ruler. And what I want you to know about this guy on the front end, this guy has his act together. I mean, he really does. He's living a life that other people want to live. Hey, man, I want to be like him. I want to live my life like him. And it's kind of interesting that he has this encounter of wanting to meet Jesus when Jesus came to the DFW area. Because most people, when they want to go talk to Jesus, they come out of a need. I mean, some really deep need. They're, they're blind. They're a beggar. Uh, that in the scripture they had leprosy. They had some sort of something in their life where they needed Jesus to touch it and do something. But not this guy. Our boy here in the scriptures, this, this story, he had his act together. And so when people were looking at him and he goes to connect with Jesus, they were kind of going, well, what would he want? Why would he want to connect with Jesus? And I can imagine Jesus going, yeah, hey, hey buddy, what, sizing him up. You know, who are you? What do you want to do with me? Now, we call him ruler because he is highly educated. He got an MBA and a petroleum engineering degree from the University of Texas. Harvard was his backup school. A&M was number three. <laughs> and uh, like most rich young rulers, he shopped online at Everlane and Untuck, and he got his, his nano puff vest from Lululemon, and his workout shoes were all hoka. I mean, this guy was decked out. Uh, he always checked his email constantly on his Apple Watch. He and his wife drive his and her Teslas because they want to go fast and they want to save the planet. And he's trying to convince Elon Musk to move all of his operations to Texas. I mean, he sold out to Texas. Uh, he wears clothes that would make you think that he's going to sit in the suite of Jerry Jones and watch a cowboy game. Uh, every day when he goes to work, he's dressed like that because he's kind of giving a signal that he's not going to impress you with how expensive his clothes are. He'll wear clothes to signal to you all the cool things that he gets to do on the weekend. Uh, by the way, if you're someone who uh, wears kind of Armani-type suits and Italian shoes, or you're someone who wears uh, uh, personal boots that were made out of leather to fit your perfect size foot, and if you're someone who always is looking at your Rolex watch instead of your Apple watch, and if you drive a Jaguar, and if you play golf on the weekends at the Colonial, you're an old rich ruler <laughs> instead of a young rich ruler. Some of you got that, some of you didn't. And that tells me something as well. Uh, his home was so smart. He had a really smart home. His home had its own IQ. It had preheated floors and, and preheated towel racks, on, had pre-flushing toilets. It would actually flush before you even needed it to. Uh, it, it had pre-ground-up pre, uh, beans for you. He, he had this artificial intelligent robot that he designed with his personality to take care of his kids while he was gone to work. He is the rich young ruler. Uh, he's up at 5 a.m. He drinks Red Bull all day long to go fast. And then he drinks more to go faster. He gets the best seats at Bass Hall, the best seats at Dickey's Arena. His wife is also a CEO. He met her going to the University of Texas. She came from California. 
But he met her at the University of Texas, and she is the CEO of her own little company uh, that, uh, of organic smart yoga mats. That is empowered, that, are, that those mats are made by these empowered uh, uh, vegetarian, vegan, Tibetan dropouts. And, and, and that, that's who makes all these things. And this girl is so in shape. His wife is so in shape. She's amazingly in shape that when she does yoga, she only does the baby pose when she's actually having a baby. And then she finishes her workout. I mean, she's incredibly physical uh, condition. Uh, he is heavily invested in Bitcoin. Cryptocurrency has his next new offering coming out himself. His children are so smart. They are 10 and 12. They're going to graduate from high school at the age of 15, each with 45 hours worth of credit, already been accepted to UT. Harvard's their backup school. They're not even thinking about A&M at all. I mean, because I mean, they know they're already into those other two schools. Uh, he, he, he's an engineer, but he's become a techie. So he has all these startup business that are just exploding all over the place. He has incredibly fit. He's so fit. He owns his own CrossFit box. He has his own personal trainer. He has own designer apps to help him meditate and keep him centered. And he is an influencer, all an influencer. When you see his post on social media with TikTok or Instagram or Twitter, it just says, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me. What I really want you to know about our boy here is he has a really good heart. I mean, he's got a good heart. He's not just concerned about being rich. He wants to be a good person. He's concerned about the climate. He's concerned about all this conversation, but he's also concerned about the economy of all his friends that, that work here in, this, in the great state of Texas. He's concerned about the border, but he has this great passion for these people that we call immigrants. He's concerned about the pandemic, but he's also concerned about the individual freedoms and rights of the individual person. This, this rich young ruler, he's haunted by all these discrepancies, these things that don't seem to have an easy answer or solution to. And so he decides that he's going to go to Jesus. He's going to find him and ask him the question. Jesus is the guy that can answer his questions about life. Verse 17, chapter 10 of Mark. Jesus started on his way. As he started on his way, a man ran up to him, fell on his knees, and he said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, notice it says he fell on his knees. That was a sign of reverence, but also a sign of humility. And in the DFW area, here's what that means. He's not coming to your office to meet you. You're going to his office to meet with him. And then it says also right here, he didn't just call him teacher. He calls him good teacher. Again, sense of humility on his part, but also a sign of respect. He goes, listen, I know you're a busy guy. You're very influential. You have a lot of power and authority. Just thank you. I'm, I'm not going to take much of your time. I'm honored you would even meet with me, good teacher. Just, I, I won't keep you long. I just have something that I need to ask you. What must I do to have eternal life? Here's what I want you to understand about, about our guy. I got really is concerned about being good. Here's the idea that he has in his head. Here's what's going on in his head. He's going, you know what, I'm pretty good, but I want to get better. 
So what do you do if you want to get better? You go talk to somebody that's better than you. And so this guy, he's really good. I heard about him. I want to go ask him my questions so I can get better. It'd be kind of like Bill Gates going to talk to Warren Buffett, say, could you help me get better at making money? It'd be kind of like Dak Prescott going to Tom Brady, can you help me throw a better ball? Going to somebody just a little bit better than you. Going like, like Taylor Swift going to Beyonce. Hey, could, could you help me? I want to get better at singing beautiful songs about my exes who just trashed me. <laughs> That's all I want to do, G. I, I, I just going to go to this guy. I just want to get better. And so Jesus responds to him. Hey, okay. Hey, listen. Why do you call me good? No one is good. Except God alone. Now, Jesus is kind of edgy here. Jesus is kind of scratchy. He's kind of got a little edge to his voice. And the disciples got to be bothered about that. Because they are a nonprofit. This is the rich young ruler. He could be a high-capacity donor. And they know, if you've ever read the Bible over in Luke chapter 8, that their whole movement is funded by primarily a bunch of women who follow along with them, who just give what they can. And this guy had the capacity to give a lot to the mission. Jesus, did you miss high donor capacity management when you went to Messiah school? Were you not, did you miss that class? And here's what Jesus is saying to the rich young ruler. Hey, I'm happy to talk with you. But this conversation is not going to go the way you want it to go. I just want you to know that I'm not going to collude with you and me patting your back and me patting your back and us just kind of making feel good about how, how, how good we are. Not going to do that. The guy responds, uh, no, no, no one. Well, why, why do you call me good? Verse 18, Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. And the guy just kind of standing there, and I want you to know this, that he's really sincere about what he's doing. And Jesus then, what Jesus does is he points out the Ten Commandments, and he takes five of them that talks about relationships. And here's what he says. Hey, you know the commandments, and he does know the commandments. He's really good. It says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. And I can hear the issue, young boy. Here's what he's saying. Okay, all right, not not murder, check. Uh, No adultery, check. Uh, Not stealing, check. Uh, Perjury, fraud, Uh, mom and dad, I got all these. Boom, boom, boom. Teacher, he said, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. I'm good to go. And he's very sincere about this. Please understand this about this kid. He prides himself on his integrity of being fair in business and doing things the right way. He really wants to be good. And Jesus moves on. He's trying to understand, how's this going? How's this feel? How's the conversation? Jesus, I've done all these things and the scripture says there in verse 2, when I love this, Jesus just looked at him and he loved him. How odd that Mark would put that there in the middle of that story. They got this business conversation going on, trying to figure out how to be good, how to solve this sort of thing. And he just drops that in right there in the middle of it. And I think it's fascinating. Jesus is poor. This guy is stinking wealthy. 
And the scripture says Jesus just loves him. He just loves him. Anybody like me that sometimes when it comes to money stuff, you can get a little jealous or get a little envious or a little bit judgmental about the money thing? Sometimes this can happen to me. I'm driving in my car. I'm going somewhere, and I see somebody driving a car much less than mine, and I kind of think, well, they're probably just not as high-functional person as I am in work. They just don't have the... Or I see somebody who's making a whole lot more money than me, driving a much higher-end car, and I can just think, oh, they're so greedy. (laughs) Am I the only one? Jesus is dirt poor. This guy is filthy rich. And the scripture says Jesus just loves him. Please hear this. Somebody needs to. Anybody who can hear my voice, rich or poor, believer or unbeliever, ruler or ruled over, I think if Jesus would show up in this room or wherever you are in your home or wherever you are across the world, whatever you're doing right now, you're connected here with us. If you were to go to Jesus and ask him the most haunting questions of your heart, you know what I think first thing he would do? He would just look at you and he would love you. That's what he'd do. In fact, that's the first thing in your message notes. I would just ask you to write down, because some of you really really need to think in, Jesus loves me. In fact, would you say that with me? Jesus loves me. Say it again. Jesus loves me. That simple little concept, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. He loves me. Hmm. If Jesus right now were to show up in Johnson County, the DFW, if Jesus would have showed up last night, and I believe he was, at that trunk or tree, And he saw all the people with all the languages and all the colors. People from all walks of life, believers and non-believers. People who had just come out of perhaps clubs. People who were about to get their kids home and go to a bar. Businesses of all kinds. I think he would just look at them first of all and he would just love them. Some people don't know that about Jesus. But Mark puts this in the text for a very important reason. Because it's not just that Jesus loves people. He's about to say a very hard thing to this rich young ruler that he doesn't want to hear. And he wants him to know, I'm going to speak it to you in love. He's going to speak to you in love right now, I hope. And here's what he said. Jesus looked at the man and he said he loved him. And then he said, before I tell you what he said, this right here is just like this old detective show that I used to, some of you are too young to remember this, but I know a lot of you remember it. Anybody remember Columbo? One of the greatest detective shows ever on TV. And some of you are going, duh, Columbo. What was that? This is Peter Falk. And he was just bumbling, just inept looking kind of detective. But he was brilliant. And he had this conversational style of solving what was going on. 
And he was so brilliant, I kid you not, the American Bar Association wrote this in one of their articles uh, about Columbus. Here's what they say. Uh, let, me, let me find it. Yeah. The best way to interrogate to a subject to get to the truth is to think Columbo. American Bar Association. And that's because he has the master skill of deploying discrepancies at what someone said. So if you ever watch the show, it looked like it was over. It looked like Columbo had been fooled. He kind of walks to the door like he's going to exit the room, and all of a sudden he stops. And he turns around, and he got this old rumpled trench coat on, and he looks so dumb, and he walks over there to him, and he raises his little finger, and he says, just one more thing. One more thing. Hey, and then all of a sudden the guilt pours out of the person. Oh, he caught me. He knew all along. Oh, he knows. He saw right through me. You can't pull the wool over the eyes of Columbo. Or better I say, you can't pull the wool over the eye of Peter Fall. You know, he only had one eye. And he tells his story upon himself that he was a pretty good athlete. He was playing a basketball game, and he thought the ref took, made a terrible call. So he took out his glass eye, put it on the scorer's table, and said, here, the ref, you need this more than I do. <laughs> Can you imagine the ref in that situation? <laughs> One thing you lack, Jesus said. Jesus had come to this conclusion that this wealthy, rich, prime of his life, young ruler, that he was lacking something. Not that he had too much, please listen. Not that he had too much, but that he was impoverished, that he had a big old hole somewhere in his life. And if you're the rich, young ruler, you're going, huh, what can I lack? I got everything. I got money, I got power, I got influence, I got popularity. And I got everything that comes with that. Admiration. I got networking. I have experiences. I have tickets to everything I want to do. I've got networking. I got all the likes on social media. I got everything. What could I lack? And I'm sure he's going, he kind of going, huh, what could I lack? What could I be lacking? Maybe he's going to tell me. Maybe this is why I came. Jesus doesn't tell him exactly what he lacked. Look what he tells him. He gives him four commands. Verse 21. One thing you lack, he said, go Sell everything you have, give, give to the poor, you have treasure in heaven, then come, follow me. Four little verbs, go, sell, give, and follow. And, and those four little verbs are going to haunt this kid for the rest of his life. Go, sell, give, and then follow. Now, if you've ever read much about Jesus, this is a unique response. If you're reading your Bible, you may have noticed, this is not how he responds most of the time. He comes up to Peter and Andrew. He just says, follow me. No other commands, just follow me. No go, sell, give. He comes up to James and John in their fishing boats. Hey, you guys, just come follow me. Matthew, tax collector's booth. Hey, just come follow me. But right here to this guy, rich young rooter. He says, I want you to go, I want you to sell, I want you to give, then I want you to follow me. What's he saying in your notes? Following Jesus means getting rid of my old masters. This other stuff was mastering his life. 
And Jesus is an expert in recognizing a rival to his father anything that puts on the equity of who he is. And this was the great discrepancy. The rich young ruler wanted the eternal life. And he wanted to be good. Anybody here want to be good? Anybody here want to have eternal life? We all want it. But he wanted to be a rich young ruler even more. That's what he really wanted. What he really wanted in his heart was the respect and the popularity of everybody knowing that he was the rich young ruler. I can imagine how long he just stood there. What's he going to do? Is he going to go? Is he going to sell? Is he going to give? Is he going to follow? Verse 22, at this the man's face fell and he went away because he had great wealth. He was very sad. He didn't go, he didn't sell, he didn't give, and he didn't follow. Church, this is one of the great tragedies, and people were so amazed. This is just a train wreck. They didn't see that coming. It was just overwhelming to them. And the disciples were so amazed. It says in verse 23, they looked around. They said, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, man, it's how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. It's just so hard. And the disciples were so amazed at his words. And Jesus said again, children, it's the only time in the Bible that Jesus calls his disciples children. How interesting. Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were even more amazed. And each one said to the other, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at him and said, with man, this is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. Why were they amazed? Because there was this idea going around. And this idea is here today. That if you're good, wealth and health are a sign of God's favor over your life. That is still alive today. It's called the prosperity gospel. There's a little book called Blessed written by a woman named Kate Bowler. She did a recent, a, a real full, full study on the history of pro- prosperity gospel. And it's based on this idea that if sickness is bad, and sickness is bad, and if poverty is bad, and poverty is bad, does that mean that health and wealth is a sign of God's favor over your life? And so if you're a child of God, and you are, it is your divine right that if you do faith right, you get wealth and you get health and God's favor protects you. And all you do is get more and more. If you give, you get more. And the reason that you give is so you'll get more. And this is just slamming that concept right in the face and saying, no, 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 no. That's not how it works. You can see why this text is not preached in a lot of churches who like to talk about the prosperity gospel. And then Peter has to say something. Peter, Venice Peter, he always has to open his mouth. 
Verse 28, Peter looks up and says, we have left everything to follow you. Look at me, look at me, look what we did. I gave up everything, I gave up everything. And Jesus said, truly I tell you, no one, no one, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. Homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, along with persecution, And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first, rich young ruler, will be last. And the last will be first. Following Jesus means in my notes, let her be possibly experiencing rejection from family and friends. Church, that's life in the kingdom of God. That when you truly say yes to Jesus... Truly surrender to Jesus. That will mean you possibly receiving persecution and rejection and comments from the world who values the rich young ruler. Our day is totally different than the ancient day. In the, our day, you get to choose to follow Jesus or not. Back then, you became a part of the religion of your family. If you're born into a family that was Jewish, it was expected you be Jewish, and you were going to be Jewish whether you want to be Jewish or not. In whatever town or tribe or city you were born in, you were born into that faith. And then Jesus comes along, and he says, you want to follow me? And following me means saying no to all these other gods and these other religions. No, no, no to follow him. And sometimes when you do that, You'll be persecuted and rejected by the people of this world who do not understand who Jesus is. And he's saying, you just need to know that. There's also something else that happens here in this text that's very, very important. And let us see this church, they become extremely generous. Following Jesus means becoming extremely generous. Because when you study the church, when people joined the church and became a part of the church in Acts chapter 2, nobody had any needs. They were just generous to their friends. They were generous to their family. They were generous to their non-family. They were generous to their enemies. They were generous to anybody. And when you joined this little thing, this new church called the community, people just took care of you. Now, there's something else that was going on in this text. I want to make sure you notice. It's kind of a hidden thing. That in verse 29, it lays out these seven things that you have to give up. And in first chapter, verse 30, it's saying six things that you get back multiplied. hundred times, he says. What, what did he leave out? In verse 29, it says you're going to leave your home, your brothers, your sisters, your mother, your father, your children, your fields. And then in verse 30, it says if you do that, you will get back a hundred times homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields. What was left out? Somebody tell me, what's left out? Fathers is left out. Now, why is that? It has to be because fathers are invaluable and irreplaceables, and mothers just come and go, right? <laughs> They're not that important, right? Honor your father. Love your father. Give gifts to your father. Uh, just don't worry about your mother. That's certainly what it says, right? No, that's not what it says. What does it say? In the ancient world, especially in the Roman culture, the father had the final word. The father was the ultimate authority and ruler. But now... In your notes, letter D, we recognize as followers of Jesus, accept God as the father of our family. 
In the church, we have one ruler, one authority, only one person to whom we bow, and that is God himself who has put his son Jesus on the throne as the head of the church, and he is a good, good father. And now, now, there are no rich young rulers in the church. Nobody's pursuing being a rich young ruler in the church. It's just all people, rich and poor, believer and unbeliever, those that are on the outside and those that are inside, just together. We're just a family, and God is the Father. And we recognize God as Father, almighty, sovereign God. And we're just his kids. No more rich young rulers. So fascinating in this text over the history of the world. We tried to soften this text because it's a really hard text. You know, when the Bible was first started coming out, there was no printing presses. So scribes would would write the body and copy it, copy it word for word. And there's one scribe who looks at this text. And say, so, you know, surely Jesus would not have said, he tried to soften it, surely he wouldn't have said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. So he inserted a little word, how hard it is for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God. But that's not what he said. Let me just say it straight. How hard it is for people who are rich to enter the kingdom of God because that master thing, it just, it's just hard to fight our sinful nature. It's just hard. It becomes our master. Then they also tried to soften it. Well, really, he didn't say, this is what he meant about easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. You know, this is what, this is what he meant. That around Jerusalem, there are all these gates to go into the city of Jerusalem, and all the gates have a name. And one of them had the, had the name of the needle's eye, the needle's eye. And it was just high enough, just high enough for a camel to get down on its knees and to kind of crawl through if it took the burden off of its back. So that must be what it meant. That's what it meant. That it's possible. It's hard, but it's possible for a camel to go through the eye of that needle's gate. And Shakespeare talks about it. King Richard III talks about it over in England and some of the scriptures there. But here's what I want you to hear. That's not what he said. Here's what he said. It is easier for a Ferrari to go through the slot of an ATM machine. It's not hard, it's impossible. With humans, but it's possible with God. When you put God in charge of your life, it's not impossible. It is possible even for those who are wealthy and rich. It is possible when God is the master. Now, please don't you notice this. It's okay to be wealthy. And it's not all the time that Jesus says, hey, give it away. Nicodemus was wealthy. He didn't ask him to give it away. Zacchaeus was wealthy. He didn't ask him to give it all away. So what's he saying? Here's three quick uh, uh, application things. Number one, I will surrender my will and life and resources and money to God. I'll just surrender it all to God. I surrender it all. I'm not in charge of any of it. And the most clear way of doing that real life is to become a giving person. Just be a giving person. Just love to be give. Just love to give. 
willingly, joyfully give, willingly give. God, help me. God, help me to be a more giving person. God, help me to be like you and your son. Help me, Lord, how to give. During this series, we're wrapping up this morning. We called it one more. We've been talking about the mission of the church and what it means to be a part of the family. What it means to connect one more to one more. What what does all that mean? Everybody's welcome, right? Nobody's perfect, right? Anything is possible with the power of God, right? We all have a need to belong. That's why you get into a small group. Be a part of a small group because you have a deeper need of belonging where someone really knows you. Then you got to serve. Man, if you've not done that yet, we got this. You can just text to this little number. If you've not found your place in the body of Christ, in the family to serve, you will not grow unless you're finding you're serving, using your giftedness. And then last week was inviting that you invite. And the great next week, next weekend's a great opportunity to invite church. Please just don't come by yourself to have a great time. Invite someone that you think might be far from God who doesn't have a church home to experience the family, to a party of all parties. And this morning, this morning is about giving. We give of ourselves. So here's the point, let, let, the point number two here is I will live like all I have belongs to God. I'm going to live my life like all I have. It's not mine. But from a very early age, we all think that it's mine. You know, we have three sons, and I'm so excited that all three of them and their wives and kids are going to be here next weekend. A couple of them live a great distance away. One of them is flying in just to be here for the celebration, for the dedication. It's going to be so cool to have all my family tree together here next weekend. All three of my sons were raised in this church. All three of them. You raised them. I remember taking each one of them out individually to go out to eat, and they always wanted to go to McDonald's. Why do kids like to go to McDonald's? Somebody tell me why. Because they always get a what? A Happy Meal. Some brilliant marketing person discovered that if a kid could have a little food and a toy, they'd be happy, and the parents would be miserable (laughs) all the time. Right? You know what I'm talking about, parents? You're fighting that deal, the Happy Meal? So I take my kid there. One of my kids where he's having his Happy Meal. And he's got all his food right there. And I got my salad. I'm being healthy. And his food is kind of spilling out. He's got these hot, steamy, salty-looking fries. And I'm thinking, if I could just have one of those fries, I'd be happy. So I reach over one of his fries, and he slaps my hand and says, no, Dad, that's mine. I like the Cayman glue. I said, who goes to work every day slaving over a job, bringing home money to dress you in those clothes, to drive you in that car up here, to buy those fries you're eating right now? Nothing you have belongs to me, you hoarding little French fry, little twerpy toot kid. And then I calmed down, and we didn't come back to McDonald's for a long time. They kicked us out. <laughs> Don't let this family, bad dad, bad dad, bad dad. But where did he learn that? Nothing is yours. You came into this world with nothing, you will leave this world with nothing. It all belongs to God. Live your life like it all belongs to God. And here's the final thing I will begin tithing. I'll begin tithing. Um, I know tithing is a foreign concept to some of you. You never heard of it. 
or you don't really understand it, I will tell you it's in the Bible. It's throughout the Bible. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. It's not a legalistic thing. It's just simply the giving of the first 10%. The first 10% that is just giving that to God, directly to God. It's a symbol that he is your highest master. That's really all that it is. I know it's a challenging thing to do. But we're going to, speaking of challenge, we're going to make it easy on some folks this weekend. We've never done this before. And some of you are going to go, God, why didn't you do this years ago? Uh, But I didn't get to do this. But this weekend, if you so desire, you say you're going to begin tithing, you're going to take a step in faith, is that we're going to have the tithing, the giving challenge. You can go to our website, find this place right here, the 90-day giving challenge. And if you tithe for 90 days, at the end of 90 days, you get the first 10% for 90 days. And if you can't sustain responsibly tithing after that, and if God has not been engaged in your spiritual life over that 90 days, we will give you all the money you have given back, 100% guaranteed, no questions asked. And we will celebrate with you that you actually took a step, one more step in your spiritual journey of trying to trust Jesus. And you will get no letter no phone call, nothing, except for clapping along with those. I will not know. Other staff will not know. So if this is you, I would encourage you to take that step. Some of you have already done it. You know the joy. You know the adventure of generosity. For the past two weeks, I've been thinking about this rich young ruler. Last week, Chris taught, did an amazing job on inviting, just an amazing job. But I've been wrestling with this rich young ruler. And I thought, when he got to the end of his life, he's pretty comfortable. Everybody could take care of him. He had all the toys. But when he got to the end of his life, I promise you this, his life was empty. Because he lacked one I don't want that to happen to you. I'll make you a promise. If you really will surrender your life to Jesus, I'm talking about your whole life. Surrender your life, your life, all of it, all of it to Jesus. None of it's mine. It's all yours. If you will surrender to a life of generosity, you will receive the joy like you've never known before of God using you to help others. You will know the wonder of God being involved in your financial life. You will grow to become less selfish. You will become more grateful. You will become more likable. You will be free to follow Jesus. When he asks you to do something, you'll be ready to go quickly people will tell stories about you about how your life God used to change them and when you get to the end of your life you will not have a pile of rust and ashes you will have a pile of memories of changed lives that you would not trade for all the gold and for all the Bitcoin and for all in the world.
Bible says, you will have treasure in heaven. And that treasure is people. Connect one more. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your generosity. For just your mercy and your forgiveness and your kindness and your goodness. God, I thank you through your son Jesus for what you've just poured out and given so freely to us. And we live, God, in a part of the world that's one of the most affluent and rich and wealthy places on the planet. And God, we just say thank you. for those who can hear my voice right now who are struggling financially. I I pray for those, God, who are hurting physically in their health. I pray for those, God, who need ministering to, who need resources poured into their life, who don't have the right job, who have not found the right opportunities, God, and somehow, God, through your body, the church, that you would you would bless them and touch them with your healing presence, God, that you would use us to be a blessing to them, God. And God, there's so many of us, we have more than we need. So much. And I pray, God, that somehow, someone this morning would really be moved to surrender to you. to know the joy of being used by you to be a blessing to others not just on Sunday but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday and Saturday God that my life, your life God would be used for your purpose we surrender all that we have and all that we heart does not belong to us God it belongs to you everything and nothing less my best my all this church belongs to you, God. It's yours. You deserve my every breath, my life, my song. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, use us, Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Thank you for joining us. If you would like more information on Pathway or to get connected to a ministry, visit our website at pathway.church. We look forward to growing with you as we worship together. God loves you. God is with you.